Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. How's everybody doing? Good. Much better. I know it's cold out. Yeah. Um, thanks for being here. It's good to worship with you. Um, I'm just, I have a sense of excitement about what God's doing in our church right now. Not that I haven't had that previously, but that we're in a neat time. We're in a, in a special season, um, a unique season where God's taking us into a place where many of us have never been before, or maybe it's been a long time. And so my, my faith is being spurred. My, my sense of ex- expectation is arising. It's growing about what God's going to do. So we've been doing a, a series of messages. This is the third of four weeks. Next week will f- be the fourth and final week of the series called um, 10 More Miles. And it's about that space between the, the, uh, the plains of Moab and the Jordan. It's the last little teeny bit of the journey that Israel had been taking from the time they left Egypt till the time they inherited the promised land. It was a 40-year journey that we're down to the last 10 miles. And I hadn't thought of this when we started or else I would have given you mile markers each week to tell us how close we were getting to the Jordan. So I kind of made this up, but I think we're at about mile six and a half. Like we just ran a 10K. So we're right here, ready to do the last three miles before we get to the Jordan. And next week, we're gonna finish the, finish the, 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 uh, the journey. Now, I don't usually do this, but I'm gonna do it for this week. I rarely try to hook you. You know what a hook is? Like when you're reading a book at the end of the chapter and they do that thing, so you're like, oh no, I gotta read it. You know, or it's the, if you're watching a serial, you know, television show and they get to the end of the episode and then uh, you have to watch the next one. I don't usually do the hook thing, but I'm gonna do the hook thing this morning. Next week is really important. If you can be here, I would just encourage you to make, not that you weren't necessarily planning to be here, but make it a priority to be here because where we're going to land with this series in this, that last mile, if you will, between mile, mile nine and mile 10, when we get to this, it's going to be a moment of, of a faith step for us as a congregation. So we're going to be taking communion next week like we do the first Sunday of each month, but we're going to incorporate that into this last little bit of the journey. And so I don't want you to miss that. So turn to the person next to you and say, that sounds good. I don't want to miss that. Aaron, putting words in your mouth, it might not have sounded good to you, but I I hope it sounded good to you. Um, So last week, we looked at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 of Joshua chapter 1. And uh, that was, so that was us walking these these first several miles in our journey. We're going to go into the promised land together. It's not you go and I stay back and we do it. No, we're going in together. And when we get into the land, we're going, to, we're going to take the land in stages, just like Israel took the land by battle, one battle at a time. Every place the sole of their foot touched in the new land, that became theirs. We are going to not have hand-to-hand combat, but life-on-life connection with people. We are intentionally going into this promised land, not to just secure our inheritance. We have our inheritance in Jesus it's to help others to secure their inheritance in him. We are going over to, to take the whole land. Remember verse four says, everything from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, it's all gonna be yours. And this is so critical for us to remember that it is God's heart that everyone that we are going to encounter on the other side of the Jordan, it's his heart that each one of them come to him. I don't know about you, but the, 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 the stranger and more, and more uh, far away from God our world gets the more difficult it is for me to, to remember that every single person I'm looking at 
No matter how distasteful or, or uncomfortable their, their, their life situation, their decisions, their choices, their words make me, the reality is, is that God's heart is breaking for those people. Every single person you meet. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says he's not willing that any, it says in the New Living Translation, that any be destroyed, but that all come to repentance. That is God's heart. He wants all. Can you say all with me? He wants all. He has not sat on his throne and said, I've picked some and I've not picked others. His heart is, according to that passage, he wants all to come to a place of repentance, to all be in relationship with him. So when we cross the Jordan and you move into that, that next season of your life where you're seeing people and you know you are there as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus, understand this. You don't go alone, right? He goes with you, but it is his heart to rescue that person. Always leaning in, wanting them. He is the, the father of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. He is looking out, waiting for them to turn, just staring out into their eyes and waiting for them. And we get to be a part of that process. Does that sound good? Oh, come on now. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, good. I don't want to pick on you this morning, but you got to stay with me, okay? So today we're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8, Joshua chapter 1. So if you turn in your Bible, um, I'm going to read you that entire passage again. Because you're so familiar with it, right? Because you've been doing your homework. Would you just smile and nod as if you did your homework every single day? Some of you are deceiving me right now. You're pretending. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. From the great wilderness, this, uh, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Can we say amen there? Amen. I will not leave you or forsake you. Starting in verse six, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law, according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Slow down, Tim. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Verse nine, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Every time I read it, I get excited because that's for us. That's not just then, that's for us. It's the song we sang this morning. Do it, do it again. Great is your faithfulness. You've never failed us yet, Lord. We know you're gonna make a way where there is no way. Something is coming, church family, and I'm excited about it. So read, read that passage. Commit that to, to, to your life. Whether you memorize it or not, commit it to part of the way that you think about what God is doing in these times. Let's look at the three verses. Starting in verse six, let me read verse six to you again. It says this, be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Now, when I am studying and preparing to share with you on Sundays, um, I, I have all these books in my office, and I only use about three of them, but I mean, I have all these books, and I, that was a joke, come on. And, and I'm not a Hebrew or Greek scholar. I don't know the original languages. So when I look at a word that's interesting to me in the text, I have these big fat textbooks and I can, and you could do this too there, you can buy them. And it just will tell you like more specifically what the word means from the original language. So when I'm reading three times, six, seven, eight, nine, there are three different occasions, verse six, verse seven, and verse nine, where the Lord says, be strong and courageous. So I'm thinking there's got to be something there. I mean, that, that strong and courageous part, that's, it's going to be like, there's going to be something more to it. Like, I'm going to get into the, my little books, you know, in, in the Hebrew, and it'll show me that there's like this extra insight that I'll be able to come to you on Sunday and be like, guess what I learned? And I'll be able to lay something out, and you'll be like, ooh, that's amazing. Guess what I found out? Be strong and courageous. You know what it means? Exactly. Let me read it to you. It's exactly what it means. I, I so wanted there to be something more. It's this. It says, be strong. Is, it's one word. It means to strengthen, to grow strong, to encourage, to be firm, to grow firm, to be resolute. Sounds like be strong. Courageous means this, to be brave, stout, bold, solid, hard, to make strong, to cause to be strong. So be strong and courageous means be strong and courageous. It, it has, does have a feel of kind of a posture, like, I'm going to be strong and courageous, you know? Like, I don't know, like I'm going to go fight or something. I've been in like one fight my whole life. This is how you do it? Yeah. <laughs> fifth, fifth grade. I whooped up on that girl, I'm telling you. <laughs> that has that feel, like I'm going to be stout and bold and courage and you're going to go for it and be strong. That's what it means. Joshua tells, Joshua is told by God three different times that he has passed on Israel, be strong and very courageous in that section. Just be it, just do it. Here's the problem with that. How do you just be it? Like, how do you just muster up the, okay, now I'm going to be strong? Like, what if I said to you, like, hey, tomorrow, be strong? You're like, yeah, right on. How do you do that? When your kids come into the bedroom at night and they're afraid and you say, don't be afraid, go back to bed, does that work? No. Be strong. Does that work? Ah, it's not. It's just there's something about it. Here's the key. There is a key. Look at the back half of the verse. Be strong and courageous for you, talking to Joshua, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The reason that they can be strong and courageous, they can adopt this posture of strength, of boldness, of, of stout-heartedness, ready to go in and, and do what God calls them to do is because they know what's going to happen once they go in the land. The ability to be strong and courageous is based upon the fact that there's a certainty about what's going to happen once they go into the promised land, once they begin to encounter their enemies. They will inherit the land. God will honor his word. The Lord is telling Joshua, look, you're going to go do this, but I swore to your ancestors that this was going to be their land. So when they're going in, they can go in with a little bit of an attitude in a good way because they know this is God honoring his long-given word to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all down through the generations till you get to Joshua. The Lord told him it was going to happen. And, this, and the same is true with us too. When we know that the outcome is certain, we can be strong and courageous. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be apprehensive. It, that doesn't have to have place in us because we know ultimately what's going to happen. How is it that people go through such horrific things in their lives, such amazingly difficult things? You hear these stories, you read the accounts of people that have been tortured and, and, and just mistreated and traumatized and everything, and they come out on the other side of it. How do people go through that? They go through it knowing that on the other side, good is gonna come, that the Lord is gonna be faithful, that he's gonna take them and bring them through. 
When we have that mindset, I can be strong and courageous because I know ultimately the outcome is certain. Fear has no place inside of us. Would you write this down this morning? Strength and courage flourish where God's people believe what God has said. Let me say that to you again. Strength and courage flourish. They abound where God's people believe what God has said. Now, the opposite of that is true. If you do not believe, if I do not believe what God has said, I will not be strong and courageous. If I'm not confident in the end result, I will not go across into the promised land with any sense of certainty about what's going to happen. So we have to cultivate inside of ourselves an atmosphere of faith, of believing, of trusting. When we do that, we will not have to be afraid or concerned about so much what happens on the outside. Here, this could be an entirely separate message. I'm not gonna get deep into it, but I just wanna say this to you. Just something for you to think about and you can talk about over lunch. Ready? Fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. So when we are giving place to fear, it is telling us that we're not trusting the Lord, that we're not believing in faith. If we are walking in faith, we are seeing in our, in our spiritual eyes that which has not been materialized in the natural. That's what, you know, that's what faith is, the evidence of things unseen. When we're walking in faith, there is no room for fear. You can't have both at the same time. Now, most of us kind of ping pong, I'll, I'll say me, I ping pong back and forth between being faith-filled and being fearful. And I want to put fear aside and to walk in faith. But the reality is they can't coexist together. When we anchor ourselves to God's promises, we are strong and courageous because we're not looking at ourselves and our resources. We're looking at God and his resources and we know that the end is certain. Amen? All right, look at verse seven. Verse seven says this, only be strong and he adds a little uh, adverb here, be strong and very courageous or adjective, very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This is the second of the three be strong and courageous exhortations. Except this one comes, this be strong and courageous comes with this add-on. It's this, this extra instruction to be careful to obey the word. Now for Israel in this moment, remember, it, it, Israel's Bible is this big at this point. It's the first five books. They don't have any of the rest that we have. They have, whether it's oral, it's written down. They have the first five. They have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They have what is called the law, the Pentateuch. And that, that section of scripture is in large part of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and almost all of Deuteronomy, is, is directives, commands, rules, regulations, precepts that the people of God were supposed to follow. So God is telling Joshua to tell the people, look, when you go in, if you want to be, when you're being strong and courageous, you need to make sure that you're being obedient to what I told you to do. I, t- I gave you all these rules. I mean, it's hundreds of rules. You guys have read it, right? It's just hundreds and hundreds of rules. It's so much stuff, but you need to be obedient to that. And and he's telling them, remember the stories, remember the, remember the things that have happened in the history of the nation of Israel up to this point. Because when you read Genesis, you read half of Exodus, you read parts of Numbers, you get the narrative story as well. And that also teaches. We know that we want to be like Jacob and not Esau. We know that we want to be like Isaac and, Isaac and Esau. We want to be like Isaac and not Esau. We want to be like Jacob as he is, as he is going and, um, and obeying the Lord. We want to avoid certain patterns of behavior that we see in our forefathers. We want to embrace other patterns. It's the history of Israel that is teaching us as well. Interestingly, when you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all that law, all those commandments, all that history, all that narrative, when you read through it, you know what you will not find any of? You will find zero strategy. 
You will find no portions in that part of the scriptures that says, when you go to battle, this is how you do it. Here's how you arrange your armies. Here's how you put the, you know, you bring these people and that people. There's none of that in there. There's no strategic insight whatsoever. There's no rules of warfare. There's no, there's no do this and not do, don't do that. None of that stuff exists in there at all. Zero instructions on warfare. The Lord causes people instead. Now remember, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan. We're getting ready to fight. The Lord causes people instead to be obedient in the way that they live before him as opposed to being strategically ready to fight a war, use weapons and things like that. The command isn't obey the word so that you'll know how to fight. Turn to the person and say, it's not that. Next to you, it's not that. Obey the word and you'll know how to fight. It is obey the word and you will know how to live. Same was true with us. I think... And I think you probably agree with me. Many of you agree with me. I think that we put far too much stock in our ability to think strategically. And this is especially true of Christians that ought to know better. Put too much stock in our ability to think strategically, to, to, use, our, to use our critical thinking skills, to use our leadership experience, and far too little focus on the power of obedience. We just elevate our own minds. It's the worst for pastors. They pastor 10 minutes, I think they know all the answers. They go in and they think, oh, I don't need to pray about this. I know how this works. I've, I've met people like that before. You ever met someone like that, that that looks at you and says, oh, I've met someone like you before, and they begin to immediately interact with you as if you're you know, a robot or something or the, the exact twin of someone else they met? Super unhealthy. We put so much stock in using our brains and so little by comparison stock in being obedient and walking by faith. Israel does the exact same thing. If you continue to read, remember, Joshua is an is a up book. It's all victories except a couple places, and the primary one being in Joshua chapter 9. Israel has been successful. They've come in. They've, they've had a miracle to get across the Jordan. They've defeated Jericho. This miraculous thing takes place. I mean, they're winning with horns. I mean, it's crazy. They're blowing, blowing horns, and they get in, and they, the whole thing crumbles down. The next, they have a little bit of a hiccup with AI, but then they get to overtake AI, and they're just starting to win everywhere. Like, they're on a roll. Like the Chiefs. They're on a roll. <clears throat> Just making sure you're paying attention. (laughs) And then in in Joshua chapter 9, a a nation comes to them and deceives them. It's a fascinating passage of Scripture. Read read Joshua chapter 9. They come up to them. They they put on this big charade. They wear all these old clothes. They got all this crumbly bread. They're like, yeah, we've been walking for so long. This bread was hot out of the oven when we left. And and our shoes were brand new and our wineskins were fresh. And all this big lie. Cincinnati, right, thank you. Man, don't get me off on that. I, I got to stay focused here. got to stay focused here. And instead of seeking the Lord and being obedient to him, Israel says, metaphorically, we got this one, Lord. We know how to deal with the Gibeonites. And they make a treaty with him, and it becomes a snare to them for the rest of the time that they're in Canaan because they can't eliminate them. They can't push them out of land because they gave their word. That's what, that's what we are tempted to do. See, assumption undermines obedience. Assumption undermines obedience, and therefore, assumption undermines victory because victory comes in the Lord through obedience. Victory in the land is more about what is happening internally with us 
and what's happening with us in regard to our faith and in regard to our obedience than it is about the external actions that we might leverage to fight. Winning the battle on the inside is tougher because inside of every single one of us is a little person that likes to be in charge. Even the most mild, easygoing, compliant person in this room, there's somebody inside of you, there's a little person in there that wants to do it your way. And it's part of what got us in trouble from Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had everything. They literally had perfection. They literally had Eden. And were dissatisfied because something inside of them said, I'm not sure I trust God. I want to do it my way. And they believed a lie and they forfeited what was perfection. Winning the battle on the inside is tougher. But when we win the battle on the inside, the external battles are much easier to address. Write this down if you would. Internal surrender to the Lord comes before the external victories from the Lord. Internal surrender to the Lord comes before, precedes the external victories from the Lord. Good success begins with an undivided heart. Let's look at verse 8. By the way, this is the one that you want to underline. This is, the, this is the, my favorite passage in, in, uh, in this, this nine-verse structure here is verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I'm going to flip the verse around to make it a little clearer. Let's put the back half of the verse before. Let's make it an if-then statement. If we want good success, turn to the person next to you and say, I want good success. I want good success. If we want a prosperous way, tell that person, I want a prosperous way. I want to prosper. Hey, there's nothing wrong with this. We're allowed to want a prosperous way and good success. That's not not spiritual. I want a good success. I want a prosperous way. If I want that, then this book of the law cannot depart from my mouth, has to be on my mind day and night so that I can do everything that's written, so that I can be obedient to that. To the degree that Israel obeyed this command, they had success. To the degree that they chose to honor God and to think about his word, speak his word, and obey his word, they had success when they went into the promised land. So let's just make it personal for us. How do we anchor? I'm just going to say the same thing that I just said, but we're going to personalize it. How do I anchor? How do we anchor our lives to the word of God? It's three things. It's the very three things that are in verse 8. The first one is this. By keeping the word on our lips. In other words, by speaking truth. Speaking truth. When I was a little boy, I went to a, a four-square church, and our church, like every church, had a wide range of people in it. People that were not very spiritual, whatever, that's fine. They just weren't very spiritual. And people that were like extra spiritual, you know, those people on the uh, far end, right? And right in the middle, the bulk of the people were what I would call just like really solid, strong believers. And of that group of people, the ones that I most admired, and this is as a kid growing up in church, the ones that I most admired, I, I tended to recognize that those were the people that just in the course of teaching, or not teaching, in the course of speaking, just kind of along the way, as I was with them in their homes and, you know, I was friends with their kids or we were at church services and stuff, they were just the kind of people that were always just mentioning Scripture. It was always on their mouths. It was just a, it was just a thing that was always right there. It wasn't, they weren't the weird people, like the extra spiritual people. It wasn't them. It wasn't someone in the, it wasn't someone in the, in the uh, aisle at the grocery store asking the Holy Spirit which mouthwash to buy. There's those people out there, Right? I have a revelation for you. God does not care about what mouthwash you use. 
The Holy Spirit wants you to use mouthwash, but he does not care which mouthwash you end up buying. But there's that people, and I'm not, I'm trying, I'm being funny. If that's what they want to do, great. I don't think the Lord cares about that. But right in the middle, there was these people that were just, they just, the word came out of them. It was always on their lips. They were always talking about this. Well, this, God, they would say things, you'd ask a question like, what do you think about this? And they, more often than not, would say, well, Scripture says, and they would give the answer. Or, you know, I have found that God's word is true in this way. It was always on their lips. And I feel like we kind of need a resurgence of those kinds of people in the church. Like, not being weird with each other and, like, refusing to speak unless it's the word. I don't mean that. But just always, always allowing the Lord of the Lord to be ready in our mouths. And here's the thing, we, we so often, and I hear it, I hear it in my own life, so I'm not picking on you, but I hear it in your lives and in your voices too, we so often give place to things that are not true with what we say. We just speak things over and over and over again that aren't true. We reinforce lies that we have been told by the enemy or by someone in our past. We reinforce things that are not true from our culture. We just end up parroting them without being thoughtful, and we put those things on our lips. And I believe the Lord wants our mouths to be a fountain of life, like it says in Proverbs chapter 10, that always coming out of our mouth is something good, something wholesome, something edifying, something uplifting. Let the word of God be on your lips, speaking truth. That's the number one way that we anchor our lives to Scripture. The number two way coming right out of verse eight, is by meditating on the word in our hearts. Meditating on the words in our, word in our hearts. That is thinking the truth. So we have speaking the truth, then we have thinking the truth. And it's, it's not meditating as in, you know, necessarily sitting still and kind of being silent. I think there's a lot of value in, in solitude and silence and meditating on truth. That's absolutely true. But it's because it says day and night, it's really more of a, of a way of going about life, that the, that the internal dialogue or monologue of your life is one that is focused on the truth of Scripture. Did, raise your hand. This is probably not everyone, but many of you probably would agree with this. Do you have an ongoing conversation in your, in your brain as you go through your day? Yeah, yeah, right. Me too. And, um, and the content of that internal monologue, it's really a monologue. If it's a dialogue, there's medicine for that. But if it's a, it's a monologue, <laughs> just kidding. It's a monologue. You're just kind of talking to yourself through your day. Now, when you're focused on piece of some work or something, your mind goes to that. But it's like they're driving around or when you sit down to eat or before you drift off to sleep or when you're laying in bed before you get up. There's that, just that, that kind of running thing going on through your mind. I believe that that needs to be oriented back to the scripture, that, the, that we're meditating on truth, that we're thinking about things that are truthful. That anchors our lives to the word of God. And we know from the scripture in New Testament that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is the content of our meditation becomes the content of what we're saying when we're speaking truth. Those two things are inextricably linked together. Meditating on the word in our hearts, thinking truth. Number three anchor point for this is by obeying the word in our actions, we, we are anchored by obeying the word with our actions. We are living truthfully. And I want to spend the least amount of time on this because the reality is, is if, you are, if you're meditating on truth and you're speaking truth, again, internal sets up external. Internal success sets up external success. You will do the things that are pleasing to the Lord when your mind is right and when your heart is right. It just becomes a natural extension of who you are. It says in the passage that Israel would have success and they would prosper if they did that. 
And that's true with us too. This, um, this passage is as close to a formula for victory or success and prosperity that you will find in all of scripture. It's just right there. You do these things, God will honor you. You do these things, good things will happen. You honor, or you anchor yourself to his word and he will bless you. I don't, I don't want to reduce it to a mathematical formula, but it really is true. You live out the word, you think the word, you speak the word, good things happen in your life. It's really true. Success on the other side of the Jordan, both for ourselves and those that we are seeking to reach, is directly connected to understanding and applying scripture, understanding and applying the truth. There is no other way, there's no other path, there's no substitute for this. There's not enough podcasts for you to listen to. There's not enough books for you to go buy down at Mardell to be able to do this. You have to come back to the root. You have to come back to the source again and again and again. Beth, would you come? We're about a mile from the Jordan now in our, in our journey. We're about mile nine. We're just getting to the river's edge. And again, I want you to be here next week as we, as we step into the Jordan. But I want to pause right here. And I, 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 what I'm about ready to share, I just, nothing earth shattering. It's very much in keeping with what I just said. But I, I, I cannot emphasize to you enough how important what I'm just getting ready to say right now is. I'm going to invite you today to decide to embrace the word of God like you never have in your life. If it's 2023, if it was 1923, I would still be saying this to you. It would still be vital. But in this culture, where there is no longer a recognition that there is absolute truth, even things that have been accepted from science from, for, for you know, millennia are being called into question. There is no absolute truth in our culture. And we, as a people of God, who represent not just the truth of Scripture, but the truth who is a person, Jesus, must absolutely be anchored to this book. As it gets darker, and as we are these lights that are shining brightly in the midst of a crooked and depraved world, that's what it says in the New Testament, we have got to know God's Word. And, and I want to say this to you, that, that our, our, our governmental structure in the United States, which I am very grateful for, obviously, for things like freedom of speech. I am super grateful for that, obviously. But let me just say this. Technology has elevated the freedom of speech to a place where everyone and everyone can have a loud voice about everything. Have you noticed this? We are the, we've become more opinionated with these platforms that have been created for us to speak. In a civic sense, the government allows this. But in a spiritual sense, not all voices need to be heard and followed. As a matter of fact, I would say this to you, and I'm not trying to be rude. Much of what we allow to come into our thinking needs to be ignored. And I'm not asking you to go live in a mountain someplace and wait till Jesus comes and create a commune. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to be unaware of that which is happening around you, but the steady diet of influence that we receive through media, through the news, through social media in particular, even through certain friends and, and family members that influence, some of it needs to be put at a, at a distance so that this place, this book can have place inside of us more and more and more in the days ahead. I am convinced that as we grow closer to, the, as we move closer to the time when Jesus comes back, so much of this other stuff is not gonna matter. And this book is what's gonna matter. Being anchored to the scripture is what's gonna matter the most. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray together. I don't have a, formula for you. I don't have a reading plan. I don't have a particular thing that I'm going to tell you to do. 
I'm just leaving this with you and saying, please, figure out a way, find a way. I'm happy to talk to you if you need suggestions, but there are no end of resources existing in our world to help you read your Bible. What we cannot necessarily make happen is the desire, and that's what I want to pray about, that God would birth within us a hunger for his word and that we would decide to put his word at the very center of our lives as the supreme influence and authority over everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think. One of my favorite passages of scripture, I'm almost finished. My favorite passage of scripture is in the beginning part of Ezekiel chapter three. In Ezekiel chapter three, the Lord comes to Ezekiel, who is a prophet, and he says to him, he says, I'm gonna send you to Israel. I'm gonna send you to my people. He says, but I want you to eat this scroll. And the text says that as he eats the scroll, then he is able to go and speak to the people. That is the call of the Lord for us right now with Joshua chapter one, verse eight, that we would eat this book so that when we cross into this promised land, we have something of life, something of truth, something of encouragement, something of the love of God to share with other people. Listen, we do not have it within ourselves. It has to come from him and it has to come from his word. So would you pray with me? Where we are, would you close your eyes and let's bring ourselves before the Lord together. Father, we, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. Forgive us for thinking more highly of our own thoughts than we do of your thoughts. Father, forgive us for trying to win people to Christ through strategies and plans that were not born from your spirit, but were rather born out of our ideas. Lord, we approach the Jordan together, but we want to let go of the things that are of Egypt, and we want instead to have our mouths and our minds and our lives filled with your word so that when we cross over, we have a prosperous way and good success. Lord, stir within us, Father. By the Holy Spirit, stir within us a hunger and a thirst for the word of God, that we would be a people who eat the scroll and speak life. I pray this in Jesus' name for us. Amen. Amen. Before I bless you, come on up. Before I bless you, Susan will come. come close as I was praying I felt like and this is for young people well it's for everybody but I think it's directed to young people when I was younger I grew up in a Christian home I remember one evening I was laying in bed and I was trying to figure out if I was old enough and if you some of you will recognize this the age of accountability and then I, then I realized, if I'm old enough to start reasoning, if I'm at the age of accountability, then I'm old enough to have a relationship with the Lord. And the reason I'm saying this is because sometimes when you grow up in a Christian home, and you've been drugged to church all your life, you, you feel like you're, you're a Christian because you're on the shirt, shirt tails of your, your parents, or your grandparents. And there is no such thing. Everybody has to account for their own life. Yes. And I just feel like there's young people here who have believed the lie that they're okay because they've gone to church all their life. They live in a Christian home. Their parents are Christian. And that's not true. It comes down to your decision. And I feel like there's, there's people here today, there's kids here today, there's young people here today, and maybe adults, 
that need to make that decision for themselves. Amen. And 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 not rely on the decisions of people who are older than them. Amen. That's good. Thank you. Thank. You. Let's just pause right now. Would you close your eyes? Let's pray together. Father, if, if there are any right here, right now, who, who do not have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would stir them, that you would, you would cause that, that them to know that, Lord, by the, the quickening of the Holy Spirit in their hearts right now. And Father, we, just, we pray right now with them, Lord, forgive us, save us, cleanse us. We confess our sin, Lord. There's so much of it, and yet you, you say that when we call upon your name, we will be saved, that you will come and you will clean us, and you will make us right with you. Regardless of the state that we show up to you in, you make us right with you and make us clean. And so, Lord, I pray right now that if anyone is here that's never said yes to Jesus, never said, I surrender all to the Lord, please save me and wash me and make me your own, that they would do that even right now, even right now, that they would call upon you that they would receive your grace and forgiveness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If, if that applied to you, if you're here, young or old, doesn't matter, and you just this morning you said for the first time, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be forgiven, I am praying that prayer with Pastor Tim, please come forward after. We would love to just have a moment with you um, to give you some scripture and to pray with you and to help you get started in your walk with the Lord. There'll be an elder up front or two up front. Let me bless you before we go. Would you extend your hands out in front of you? From 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Grace Church family, may the grace of the Lord pour out on you abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And from Psalm 44, 3. May God give you victory. You will succeed because of the Lord's mighty power. You will succeed because he favors you and he smiles on you. In Jesus' name, receive this blessing. Amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you'd like more information about giving your life to Jesus, email us at info at grace417.com. That's I-N-F-O at grace417.com. We pray you have a blessed day.